After years of helping online businesses make more money by advising them on their taxes and finances, I've now made it my mission to reach as many profitable online businesses as possible to help them save on their taxes and make more money. On my quest, I bring you proven and real profitable online business owners, and we dig into how they do it. Hello again. Thanks for being here. This is the few, the proud, the profitable. This is the podcast where we talk exclusively to six and seven figure online business owners. We know that in this, in this space, there are a lot of people who exaggerate, who fabricate their successes. So what we do here is we take the guesswork out of it for you. We bet our guests and we know that they're actually legit and actually making money online. So we get tips from them and hopefully you can put those into action in your business. We got one of those today. Jeremy Ryan Slate, thanks for being here, buddy. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me today. This is, this is a blast. I know you, you and I were, were riffing for a, a good amount of time there before we even hit record, so uh, I'm stoked to jump into this. Yeah, we really should have been recording that. Yeah, that's what I said. Two good things in there. But So just to get rolling, for anyone watching, tell us who you are, what do you do? So um, I have a iTunes Top 100 podcast called the Create Your Own Life Show. I've been doing that since early 2015. Uh, we are over 2 million downloads all time. Uh, I also have an agency called Command Your Brand Media, and we are a new media PR firm, which means we focus mainly on uh, getting people booked on top-rated podcasts, but we're also doing like some live streams and YouTube shows and stuff like that too, if they, if they have a large enough following for us to, to book them. Yeah. What's the minimum? What, what's the following minimum to, for y'all to be able to give them effective so, results? Usually? So, well, I, I guess it's, it's tough to, it's tough to gauge, but we're usually finding like if, if somebody's in the top 200 of their category, they're, they're usually getting 2,500 to 5,000 listens an episode. Um, right. if, if they're consistently there in terms of like, if we're booking something that's not a podcast, like a lot of the live stuff are booking. That's not a podcast. are usually just verified accounts because they're big enough in terms of that. Okay. Cause it's not our main line thing, but we do have some really cool opportunities that come that way uh, in terms of the live media space. And you know, that may be more of where we go in the future, but that's what we look at at the, at the moment. Yeah. So for those people, is there any sort of, let's say they're not where they need to be. Mm -hmm. for, for, do you have any, baseline stuff that you'll usually get them to do or tips for those people to get to lay that that foundation well i guess there's like there's there's different types of clients that i guess there's two two classes really of clients that'll come to us it's 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 somebody that's newer in the media space but they've got a successful business and that's and and the point i make about that is we're media we're going to get you more attention we're going to help you grow but if you've made a whole bunch of mistakes and don't have a successful business, I'm not a consultant. I can't fix that for you. So right. usually we're finding people that have a really great business and don't have media coverage. And then we'll help them get the basics and like set up their media page, make sure their website copy is written the right way, help mm -hmm. them put together a story that converts, take a look at, we don't do it for them, but we take a look at what funnels and things they have out there to make sure like, Hey, this is going to line up for a podcast interview. Now right. on the other side of it, we have super well-established clients that are running anywhere from a five to $30 million business. And that type of client usually has a marketing team. They usually have somebody that is their assistant on their staff. So it's a little bit of a different flow because they have a lot more stuff set up and they've sure. usually done a lot more media. So they're really just looking for us to, to help them with positioning with the type of host they want to be seen with. Okay. That's cool. Especially on the, it's so funny on the, for the first class of clients mm -hmm. because 
you'll see it all the time where people, and you see this in marketing in general, where sure. people don't have any of the assets in place. And it's just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and there's no strategy to it. And there's no, I hate using the word synergy, synergy because corporations just became this, this buzzword. Right. But there really isn't this foundational stuff to where any of this, it's none of it is jiving well together. Mm -hmm. um, it's also fun. Well, that's, a, that's a really good point though, because um, I've had people and we, we ended up not working together just because of that. Like to me, the synergy and where it's going to go is really important. But I think you also see a lot of people that have very successful businesses and they don't quite get the branding and, and PR side of things and, and also the aesthetics of it as well. Sure. Like you'll, you'll see somebody with, with like quote cards that are made in like Microsoft paint with like a, somebody else's photo they stuck on there. And it's, you, you also have to understand like this, what you're showing people needs to match what you're doing or what you want to be doing. And I think that integrity to your brand is super important. Right. Well, it's so funny to me, and this has been years ago and it's not a perfect parallel, but when I was first starting out, there was an SEO guy that I'd work with. Mm-hmm. And he was starting out and he was dirt cheap. He mm -hmm. would build out an entire website for like 300 bucks. And then he was charging a wow. hundred bucks a month retainer for the SEO. Oof. So I would recommend this guy to my clients. And it was, we had a decent number of people who would work with him, but the conversion was still crazy low because mm. for these I don't want to say lower tier clients, but these, you know, smaller businesses, they had no recognition of the importance of the branding, the reinvestment and the value. And that, that kind of goes to what y'all are talking about, obviously with, with higher level businesses where mm -hmm. people can be making really good money, can be doing very well in their core thing, but then you look at their branding and it's trash. Right. It doesn't line up with that at all. It, it doesn't line up with that at all. And, and they, and, and they think a lot of times, you know, I want, you know, X, Y, Z piece of media. Like you see all the time, like somebody wants Forbes, they want like one of these yeah. top things and you, and you may have the stats, but you also have to look like you deserve it too. Like that's really, really important. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And it's, it's not a knock at anybody, but that those two things have to align. You may have the stats, you may have the production, you may be like, you may have a $2 million business, mm -hmm. but if it, it, it looks like, you know, that your website was built in 1997 on GeoCities, like it doesn't really represent to people like what you do. And that's why it's really, really important that in terms of branding elements, everything needs to match up, you know, to get the right media. Right. Well, people... Is that the first time you've had a GeoCities reference thrown at you in a long time, by the way? For a little while, yeah. That's what, <laughs> that takes, takes me back. It's you see it all the time with these old school businesses Mm -hmm. And people don't realize how you know, they wouldn't just show up looking slubby to work and they wouldn't, they wouldn't just show up looking like borderline homeless, have their office yeah. messy, but that's what they do with their digital presence. Mm -hmm. Well, and like our, our vet, we love them. They do great work. They're awesome with our pets. They really take care of them. They don't have a website. Mm -hmm. So one day I was trying to take the pet there for an emergency thing. And I'm like, how do I find out their hours? I had to drive there, look at the door and see if there was anybody there to bring my, bring my dog in. Yeah. So it's, it's those things have to match up, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's what we'll deal with on, on a local side all the time is that people will have zero digital presence. And then you get them the website, you get them the baseline stuff. 
what you're talking about at least sounds like it's sort of the graduation from that. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. you're in the you're in the digital space, or you're at least aware of it. You've got your baseline stuff, but there's a real chance there's not any continuity between mm -hmm. it all. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that because it's. I, I think there's this perception too that that has to be changed in terms of like getting media. Is yeah. people think that media is looking for them, and it's just with the 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 news cycle and everything out there. You have to be out there willing to tell your story and willing to tell it to the right people. But in the mm -hmm. same way, there's also stairs, right? Like day one, you don't walk out and get put on the Forbes website, but people yeah. think they can buy it. It doesn't work like that. You have to work your way up the stairs of that media. Yeah. So you can, you yeah, you counsel. <laughs> well, if, if you buy it and the website finds out that, that, that contributor will get banned. Sure. Um, so it's, there, there is like definitely levels of where you're going to go up to in, in getting media. And the same thing applies in podcasting. So I, I think it's also... In, in that way, being honest with yourself where your online presence currently is and, and where mm -hmm. your business success currently is so that you can go bigger. Right. Well, with any of these things, like again, the placements, pot, yeah, and, and that's a good way to put it the way you did because most people, if they're reasonable and don't have just this insane ego about themselves, would not be like, I have not gotten quoted on a single newspaper article. I have not been cited on a single thing. <laughs> New York Times is going to interview me now. That, that's not reasonable. No, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But I think sometimes with podcasting, because it is, it's growing, and I think it's this, it's a huge potential for. It, it's more untapped than than YouTube, Facebook, other platforms are. But I think because it is more of a niche thing, people don't understand. Like, oh yeah, cool. I'm going to get on this top fifty podcast. Mm -hmm. And then, and because there's podcasts with buddies that I have that I'd love to be on that podcast. I think I could provide good value. But I'm like, okay, well, they just had on Grant Cardone and Gary Vee and this guy and this guy. As great as I might think I am, I'm not really <laughs> matching up with that with that level of branding. So of course they're not going to have me on. And, and if I were them, I wouldn't have me on. You can't blame sure. them. For that. But I think I don't know if it's ego or what it is, but I feel like some. Sometimes people just well, don't recognize. I, I, I think it's also like we, we have we have the idea of too like podcasting's grown a lot over the years, and, and it's still at a point where I think it was like 144 million Americans have heard of a podcast. But there's I don't the population's you know something over 300 million now. Like that's still not even 50 percent have like heard yeah. of it. So I think it's also an awareness thing. I think oh it's a new thing. It's it's easy to get on whatever it may be, um, but there's, you know, a lot of big audiences for the ones that are doing well. And there are a lot of people competing to get on those shows. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's something you have to take a look at as well. Apple released something last year with their beta stats program that they found people were sticking around for 80% of an episode. And really? I think that's pretty incredible. If you're getting that much of somebody's time, you're not getting that with radio. You're not getting that with TV. Oh. And if they can read anything anymore, I think the attention spans like a, like a gnat anymore. Um, so it, it's, pretty incredible like the level of engagement you're getting and i think when people truly grasp that i think they understand this is why all the smart business people are here and this is why there's a lot of vying for those you know few coveted spots that there may be mm -hmm. well yeah absolutely and it might go to the population the people who are listening to it but i think mean, there's a reason why traditional media is having more and more trouble saying they have trouble is probably an exaggeration they're doing just fine Mm -hmm. But you'll see it. I remember anyone I've seen who's gotten 
on a interviewed on a little local TV station. Mm -hmm. A few times I have, you'll be talking to them for 20 minutes and then the segment comes out and it's like, yeah, taxes are hard and that's it. That's That's, it. Yeah. That's that's what it's (laughs) still down to. Yeah. So for long form content like this, I think if people have the time ability or doing it when they're driving, you can provide so much more value because it's not, there's not that constraint on how long it can be and how absolutely distilled down to the nth degree, the point mm-hmm. has to be to fit into the three minutes, the segment will last total. And, and I think that's why the interview flow is different as well, because it's, you yeah. don't want to sound scripted like you do on radio or something like that. Cause you got to ding in that message and ding it in fast. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what's interesting as well, because people like that authenticity. They like to be able to spend time with you. They like to be able to understand that you're relatable. And I think the medium, it's interesting because people are choosing to listen to it, just like Netflix or something like that. They're deciding that they want to listen to this. Whereas I I keep saying this, and I don't know if this will ever happen, but let's say the auto manufacturers took radios out of cars. That could be over. And because people don't really choose to listen to it, they do it because it's there. So right. I think that's the real difference that we're seeing is the consumption habit of the user is changing because of what's available to them. Mm-hmm. And traditional media hasn't done a really great job with this, whether it's newspapers, whether it's radio, because what they've done, and I think if they didn't do this, they'd probably actually be doing a lot better, is they try to gate, gated content everything. Like, oh my gosh, okay, you can read 3% of this article, but then you got to pay us. Right. Or you can sign up to hear our podcast which is just a re-recording of your radio version for for you know whatever dollars it is a month and i think if they realize the reach is really important versus the holding it back from people because like grant cardone is is uh really big at saying that he makes no money with the podcast and the video and everything else he does but his mission is for everybody to know about him and if everybody knows about him he's a lot more available to make money and that's why i think these models have to change a little bit and get a little bit more creative but that's why traditional media really isn't doing well because they haven't figured out like how do we monetize this the right way instead of choking people? Right. Well, and my favorite with paywalls are obviously maddening and not super yeah. effective because there's always some random RSS feed or another, another <laughs> site that doesn't. My favorites, and this, is, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, are the ones that say, hey, you've got an ad blocker installed. We'd really love it if you would turn that off. They don't restrict your access, but it's just this sort of douchey thing like, yeah. please please get rid of it. We know you have this. Get rid of it. It would be really nice of you. Well, it's, you're, you're relying on the, the listener then to, to, to then do that. And it's like, well, they don't want their experience ruined. So, you know, it's, right. they're not going to do that. Exactly. I have no, especially with YouTube, I want to support whatever creator I'm watching. I want to support the people who are getting a cut of that. But at the point when you throw in five ads per video at this point, it seems like, that's when I finally installed an ad blocker for video. Well, I, I don't know about you, but like with, with Facebook videos, not too long ago, they, they introduced it where it starts playing in the middle of a video. And that's usually the point where I stop watching because I'm like, oh, for 10 seconds, I don't want to go do something else. I don't care enough because for YouTube, at least, there is some degree of where you're browsing and you're just getting the suggestions. But I'm more likely to be looking specifically for that content. With Facebook, it just happens to pop up on my feed. I didn't ask for this specifically. I see it. Oh, that's cool. 
I get 15, 30 seconds in and then an ad comes, oh, I'm done. That's, that's yeah. it. I, I'm, I'm dropping off, man, because like, right. oh, I wanted to finish this video. I, with like, like I, uh, the ESPN app, I don't know if you use the ESPN app, but their user experience for advertising is the worst because they, they force you to watch a 30 to 60 second ad before you watch a video. And by the time it starts playing, you're like, I can't fast forward. I can't get out of this. All right, I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. So you have to think about your user experience now, man. You're going to lose them. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, so sweet. So second question. <laughs> we're, only, we're only on the second question? <laughs> Literally, the first question, and this happens with, a, with an unfortunate frequency. This is my yeah. fault. I, the first question literally is, tell me what you do. Yeah. And that's it. it we we kind of laid out the entire problem with digital and online marketing right, right now. And now we're going to tackle the rest of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so the second question is, tell me what's the best thing about having a profitable online business? Because again, the way we talk about in this podcast, what you and I were talking about before, there's a lot of people who are real rich, the way you put it, they're real rich until you get them on a sales call. Right. So what's the best part about you actually having a profitable online business? I have employees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're very, but you're very limited without having amazing people to work for you. And, and I think that's what a lot of these quote unquote, uh, let's call them finfluencers, fake influencers have like they're, they're, they're putting up pictures of them in a, in a rented Lambo or they ran onto the tarmac and took a picture in somebody in front of somebody else's private jet. And, you have to realize because I don't want to say we're just an online business because we're not like we do have an office we work out of as well. Though yeah. a lot of what we do is done online. So I, I think, yeah, they, they don't quite understand how a business runs, right? Like you have employees, you have a management system, you have a lot of these different things in. So I, I guess, honestly, the, the, the best part is having amazing people around me that are really good at the things I'm not good at. Um, I can sell just well enough to keep my head above water, but I have an amazing sales team that is way better than I could ever be. Um, our publicists are amazing. Um, the people we have in online marketing are amazing. And I think that's the difference, right? Because then if I want to go, uh, so I guess here's a good example of this. I just spoke in Kiev, Ukraine in September. And we, I spoke for, for at, a, at a one day event, did the keynote. And my wife and I decided, you know what? let's travel around Europe for the next 10 days because mm -hmm. our business continued running because we have amazing people that were handling yeah. the day-to-day -day operations because we have a great team. So I, I think to me, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, I, I think the real difference and the thing I enjoy most is being able to have an amazing team of people around me. And I think that's what a lot of these, we'll call them finfluencers, don't yeah. have. They don't have the right people around them. Well, two things on what you said to the, to the first point, yeah, it cracks me up these people who are projecting this lifestyle they definitely don't have. Adam Lincoln Auger, who we both mm -hmm. know, we they're, share. They're just sitting like this all the time. Yo. <laughs> yeah. Adam and I, we bought some buildings together and we share an office right now in the same building. And it would crack me up. We'd see all the time. He'd be, he had an I, a BMW i8 for years. And you would catch people who would just be taking photos with it as if. Are it you was serious? Would, in would, in the parking lot? In the parking lot that we have, we'd oh see. Oh my gosh, that's insane! Even find the someone would send us the social media posts like we we hustle and grind. They wish they could live the life that we have with this 
with this BMW they just randomly saw in the side. Oh my God. I, I would love if Adam saw it out there and noticed his license plate number, like in somebody else's post and be like, Hey bro, that's my car. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it's crazy. But I think you're completely right too on the, on the second point that having employees really is such a differentiating thing, not only in terms of being a real, real business versus maybe you're pretending, but mm -hmm. also in terms of quality of life. Yeah. Because at this point, we've got a team of three full-time people. We're still a boutique firm, three full-time people. And then we've got freelancers who do a decent bit of stuff for us. But there was a point when that was not the case. I, I, I totally I, understand. <laughs> I started this with two grand in the bank, no clients, no contacts, and just really hoped for the best. And there were two years during tax season where this just destroyed me. Yep. Um, let's see. 2017, I threw out my back horribly. I had this. I had a blown disc, but this happened in February. I didn't have much choice, so I still had to work like 100 hours a week with this blown, blown disc, just come up and just be miserable. But what other choice do you have? We make 60 to 70% of our money in four months. I can't just take that time you gotta, off. You got to make it work. And get surgery. And then, let's see, I think it was 18, I want to say. I finally, all right, I really need help. We are, we are inundated. We've got more than we can possibly handle. So we hired another CPA. Dude had a lot of experience, had been working for a while. It just didn't work out. It was not mm. a fit. We were, so that he was gone within about a month. Problem was, is that not only did we have too much business to begin with, we had taken on a huge additional load of business predicated on the idea that there would be two of us to do mm. it. So that tax season ended up being here until 3 a.m. every morning, probably worked 120 hours a week. And it was like, okay, I, that was it. Mm -hmm. That's when I said, I'm never doing this again. I don't care what, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to get this right this next time. And then you fast forward to this, this latest tax season and you still work a lot, but it was fine. We, we had another CPA here who was great. We had the support team that we needed. Mm -hmm. So instead I'm working 80 hours a week, I get home and it's still light out most of the time. And I think people who, I think, I think there's different reasons why people will put that off. It depends a lot on the person, right? Because mm -hmm. some people it's an ego thing that they don't trust anyone else to do it as well as they think they can, which is. A, it's I, a, I've done that. So I, I <laughs> yeah. which is a fallacy in and of itself, because like you said, you can be really good at all the things you're good at, but if someone is just focused on that part of your business, chances are they're, if you hire effectively, which I have done and have not done, mm -hmm. if, if they're actually good at what they do, then you better hope they're better at that job than you are. Well, well here, here's, the, here's the thing to your point as well. Like for, for a long time, I refused to give up sales in our company, just refused to do it. Yeah. And because I was like, well, nobody else can close these sales like, like we did. So I hired, I think, three different salespeople and they failed because I didn't empower them. Like they, yeah. they didn't do well because I wouldn't let them succeed because I was like, okay, well, if I give it to them, I'm not gonna make money and I'm not gonna do well. Because I think myself, I'll, I'll say as an example, and I think a lot of people, 
have this idea that if somebody else is making money in your company, you're going to make less money. And here's the thing, right? If, if they're making money, I should want them to make more money because that means they're producing more and they're doing more. And right. they, they were actually better at it than I was. Because I think when you're looking at it this way, right? Like if you think you're the best at everything in your business and you try to do it all, you're only going to be like 50 to 30% as effective as you could be because you're trying to do it all. Rather mm-hmm. than if you get somebody else even 75% as effective as you are, yeah. but everybody else is doing it for you, you're still going to grow more. Because if right. you're trying to do everything, man, you're finite. You only have so much you can do. Right. Yeah, you have a finite amount of time and energy. And at least for me, I don't know if you experience this, at a certain point, the busier and busier you get, the more you start to resent certain tasks. Mm-hmm. You, even if you shouldn't, even if they're completely necessary to the company, if you're, and some of them, it would be funny. It would be like when I'm really busy, clients would be calling because they'd want to, they'd want to come in for a consult. I'm like, I don't have time for this. I'm too busy. That's exactly what I should be doing is meeting with the clients. Oh like, man. I, I feel you though, because I've been there because it's like, you know, I was at one point in time, we, we, we had, we've always had publicists since we started this company. Cause that's allowed us to deliver more. But at one point in time, I was doing quality control over what we were booking and doing sales. Now, let's, yeah. let's think about that. The guy selling is hearing about all the problems from the guy, the guy handling booking. So the guy selling wasn't selling, and they were both me. And I think that's one of the, one of the issues you're looking at there is you're actually creating a stuck, a stuck flow for yourself. You're creating an idea that you can't grow because you're just not willing to confront that in the right way. Right. And that's a challenge yeah. because a lot of us are – are control freaks and we do care about we're, we're really invested in our business we care at what we're delivering but it, it takes a little bit of mental growth to comprehend that us doing it is not necessarily the best thing for for anybody for the clients yep. for the company for ourselves well, I think some people are never going to realize that, honestly. And it's, 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 it's not to be offensive. It's just the truth because there's some people that realize that and those are the ones that are going to grow and, and empower others and do some really cool stuff. And there's other people that are just going to have, you know, a small business that either makes a little bit of money enough for them to do some stuff or, or, or doesn't last. You know what I mean? Like nine out of 10 new businesses fail. And there's a reason for that. Like not all of us are cut out for this. It's the ones that really want to push through and, and you know, treat this as an ethical responsibility are the ones that are going to make it happen, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So third question <laughs> is what, what do, we deal with a lot in our practice, advise, advising clients, and what can be a real struggle for a lot of online businesses is managing cash flow. Mm-hmm. So especially since you've got employees, you've got a full team with, with overhead. How have you managed to do that successfully? It wasn't always pretty, man. I'll be really honest with you, especially early on. Like there were times that we would have to take out um, like a, a, a breach, you know, a loan to make things work and then pay it off. Because when you're, especially in the beginning, man, when you're trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. you don't quite know what that looks like. Yeah. So, so, so here's the thing I've always looked at. Um, and honestly, you may disagree with this, but I, I feel like more leads in the door and more quality leads in the door fixes a lot of problems in your business. Yeah. So I've always focused on, okay, how can, because quality for me has always been important. Like, and that just, that just goes without saying, but if you can get more leads in the door of your business and more cash flow coming in and, you know, figure out how to not stop yourself from selling, 
you're going to be able to fix a lot of problems in your business. You know what I mean? So for me, I've always focused on how can we get lead numbers up? Okay. So we we're going to do, we have 2000 emails that we were sending a week. Okay, cool. That's not working. Let's send out 10,000. So I think it's, it's the orders of magnitude you have to realize. And for me, once I realized what I was doing had to be bigger, that fixed any cash flow problems we had in the beginning. Cause they, they do happen, man. I know when we first started out, um, we were kind of in a rough patch because what we're doing now, we did under another company name and the previous founder and I just didn't agree. You know, we went our separate ways and did what we were going to do. But during that point in time, um, cash flow was rough and our company for the first, for the first 30 days in business didn't make any money. So what that meant is I didn't want to lose my employees. So I actually was doing some contract work on the side, taking those checks and writing them right to my employees so they would still continue working and keep going. So I think sometimes you make it, you figure it out, but then you look at it and you say, okay, cool. How can I solve this? So this doesn't happen in the future. And to me, cash flow is king, man. The more people through yeah. the door, the more problems you can solve. Well, yeah. And you're exactly right because there are things on the back end that can make a business sink, but the vast majority of the time it's revenue because all the stuff that we can do on, we look at mitigating expenses, mitigating your tax bill, doing all that stuff. Well, your tax bill doesn't exist if you don't have any money coming in the door, if you don't have any profit, a lot of this other stuff is, is super secondary to there being enough money actually flowing in because if it's not then you're not going to be around much longer mm -hmm. and that, that's what we'll run into with a lot of our clients where it the ones who are struggling there's there's fat that can be trimmed there's always things that we that can be helped with on an expense side but the ones who are really struggling aren't the ones who just have a crazy amount coming in and a lot going going out it's the ones who haven't managed to do any sort of marketing or effective sales. Well, and, and you'll see too, that they'll also justify the reasons why they can't, why they aren't succeeding. They'll say, Oh, well, you know, um, the quality is so important to me. So I'm going to just keep pounding quality. Okay. Well, if you have no people to service, it doesn't matter. So you're going to see a lot of these things that come in to, to justify that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And yeah, people will, it's funny too, because when you're talking about, I'm not sure if this is the way you meant it, but when you're talking about quality and, and leads, you, those are two things that we want to have come in tandem, but depending on where you are in your business, you prioritize the, the volume and, and the quality a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I think about us and I think about most people we talk to when you're first start, starting out, it's a volume game. I don't care how horrible and the customer that's, is. That's exactly the point I'm making because somebody will say, well, I only want to promote to this exact type of person. Okay, good. Well, good luck trying to get in touch of, in front of that right. type of person. You know, it's, it's a law of big numbers, man. You got to promote to a lot of people, promote to a lot of people. And as you grow, you'll systemize and figure out how you can reach more of the right people. But you just got to promote, man. You got to get out there. It's, it's, not the, it's not just the quality of your leads, but it's the size of the list of leads you're promoting to. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you can have the most, theoretically, whether or not this is true, you can have the most targeted list known to man, but you're still only going to have a certain amount of conversion. You're going to burn through that list. They're going to get tired of it. Or, yeah, you, you want a quality factor to the leads, but if you have it to where you're promoting it to 10 people, like, this is what's funny to me. The pe And the those aren't the 10 that wanted to buy from you. Then you right, say, oh, man, my business sucks. People don't want my product. No, promote to more than 10 people. 
yeah, you're, you're done. That's what's always funny to me. These moms who will get scammed into being in these MLMs and they're just taught. I, I wasn't a mom and I did an MLM for a little bit. <laughs> well, they really target the moms because the moms like, you know, are some of them are staying at home. They want to con- contribute, mm-hmm. but these people who will get involved and they're blasting their Facebook feed like five times a day. And not, not only are the claims and then silly, people stop but listening to them. They stop listening to them. The claims don't make sense, but you look, I'm like, okay, you're posting five times a day. How many people are even on your friends list? And it's 200 people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how does this make, how does this make any sense to you? Because your population that you're reaching, even assuming those people are interested, which they're not, it's 200 people. Right. How do, what do you think, what's, what's your best case scenario? If your best case scenario is this 200 people, then we've got real problems. Yeah, you're going to exhaust that pretty quickly. <laughs> and as time goes on, and it, we've both experienced this too, we've gotten much more selective with the people we take on as clients. Oh, we've tried absolutely. To be, we've tried to be smarter about how we're targeting and our messaging and all that, but that's sort of a a luxury that comes with even if you're not exactly where you want to be in the business having a a sustainable baseline correct perhaps you're not ideal clients but at least clients right well because you'll have people that they get on a they get on a, a sales call right and they have so few leads that they get on there and they think every lead they talk to has to close or they're gonna die and the person that you're talking to, they can feel that. They can feel that energy. And, and because of that, you're going to sell to a lot of people that will actually destroy your business. Like there are some people that will, that, um, that they're, one of my friends, Brandon Williams, wrote a book called Don't Be a Slave to Your Clients. Because there are people that they give their clients so much, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't service them to the, you know, to the top level, but there's a certain type of client you bring on that will try to control your business. Uh-huh. And if you don't have a lot of these systems built in, if you don't know exactly who you want to work with and who you line up with, you can end up in that trap. So you yeah. have to promote big, but also at the same time, you ha- it gives you the ability to say no when it's not right. Well, one of my favorite pieces of advice ever, it's, um, there's a consultant guy named Kevin Nations, who's mm-hmm. pretty well known in this space. And one of my clients was working with him and I'm sure Kevin has a million different pieces of advice, but the one that was related to me that really stuck with me, it was a much more expletive filled version of no jerks. <laughs> that was the thing. No jerks. He said, don't deal. If those are your clients, fire them. Don't deal with them because they will cost you. They're going to cost you money. They're going to cost you your time. They're going to cost you your sanity. And actually he did it in the reverse order, you know, time, sanity, and ultimately all that costs you money because I can't think of the number of times where we've experienced some, it some in the early years and we've talked with clients where they cannot handle some of their customers. They're like, but it's a big account, so I can't let go of it. That's garbage. You've got to be willing to have or not have it, man, or you're a slave yeah. to your, your clients and that's rough because yeah. then you're not going to love what you do and then the clients that are amazing, you're not going to want to service them at the level they deserve to be serviced at because you're letting yourself get beat up. Right. And what happens is you've got this finite amount of energy. So you, you end up in this horrible call with this client, you're dealing with them for an hour or two, and then you're, you're zapped. 
Yep. That's all you had. So then you, you, then you have- go off on your wife, you know, you, 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 you're yelling at your kid. Well, I'm, I'm serious though. And you, cause you see this going to people's lives. I, I've seen it happen to too many friends. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it bleeds into other areas of your life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best case, you're just exhausted. The other clients you should have been servicing, you just go to bed and you, mm-hmm. they don't get what they should have, but, or like you're saying, and, and that's very realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're, even if you're trying to partition those parts of your lives, put you in this foul mood and you might end up, you know, projecting that negative energy back at somebody else. Totally. A hundred percent. And you know, Pareto's principle remains as, as uh, always true on this, man. You're going to find that 20% of your clients take 80% of your time and you're, it's, you know, vice versa. So you really want to, fo- you want to focus on the, the clients that are willing to work with you and work with you the right way and, and really run through the program and the things are going well. And the ones that are kind of shaking you a little bit, if you ethically feel like you're doing the right thing for them, then, you know, you get to them when you get to them. You don't let them run you, control you or whatever. And don't be afraid to, if you need to, refund them, man. Like it's, it's not worth the, the, you know, thousand bucks or whatever it is they may have paid you for them to be costing you more money that could be coming in. Mm-hmm. Oh, ab- absolutely. It's, there's easy ways to, to get rid of it. You can refund them. If you're on an annual type thing, there have been clients for decent number of clients now, I think back on the past seven years, where one thing that we've done, and I think most businesses do that as they grow, you start at a price point you never should have started at. (laughs) Yeah, I did that. (laughs) And then you get up to where you want to be. So for the clients you really, really like, you're a little gentler on that. You do it much more slowly, not the same degree. Clients we don't like, we either put them right where they need to be, or sometimes you put kind of a deuce surcharge on it and even mm-hmm. higher. And, and either then they go away or you're being c- properly compensated for the time and energy. Yeah, because it, it will happen. Yeah. And, and it's also the, the idea of lost income as well. Like if they're mm-hmm. taking that much of your time and even mental energy, you're going to be, lo- it's not just losing money on their contract, but losing money on servicing others or even new business that could be coming in. Right. And I think it's hard if you start from a place where you don't have anything. As most of us do when we start our business, you get so used to scarcity that Mm -hmm. it's hard to turn down new business coming in. It's hard to raise your prices. It's hard to get rid of these pain in the butt clients, but you have to, you absolutely have to once you get busier and once you're at that, that point. Mm -hmm. So yeah. All right. So cool. Fourth question. And this is the the bigger one. And a couple of minutes, give us your number one tip that you think that every online business owner should know. I could write a book on this one, man. Um, Because there's not like a number one tip. There's like all these things you shouldn't do. Um, Well, I I, I guess first and foremost is, is, you know, Number one, always have a quality product. That's really, really important. I think there's too many people that want to sell a $20,000 coaching product because they think they don't have to do anything. So number one, have a quality product that really helps people and and really improves their lives and their business and whatever it may be. But then number two, put attention and time on the right branding. Because if you don't, you're not going to grow because you don't look like you should. You don't look like you can deliver what you're saying you deliver. And that perception is so vitally important because it's going to help you grow. So I would say always make sure you have a quality product because that's really important because you shouldn't be in business without it. 
But number two, make sure that you are having the right branding, positioned with the right people. Have a good podcast, like something where, where your presence is going to be the right way online. And be willing to go out there and get yourself your own media in the beginning. You know, eventually maybe you can hire somebody, but be willing to go out there and get it because the media does not look for you. There's a fallacy that people think the media looks for them. You have to be willing to tell your own story. You have to be willing to dive into the weeds a little bit. And you also have to be willing to put the work in. And, and I think if you can get that out front, everything else you're doing is going to go better. People are going to know about you. Your advertising is going to convert better. Um, I sense that you want to say something. Why do people, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can see well, it. You're, you're like. <laughs> the fallacy in that, why do people think the media is looking for them? That, well, because they just, don't, they just don't understand how, how PR works, honestly. Like, like um, we have, we have one client that got a really amazing placement, like with a really big influencer and people are like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Great job, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, because people don't realize in PR, like somebody helped them get that. And I, I think it's, it's when, once, it, once you're in this space, you get that. But I think outside of the space, like you, you, you don't quite understand. You just think, oh, okay. wow, they really produce. And somebody, it's just, it's, it's just a, a learning point. People just don't understand that. So it's a, it's a false idea because a lot of people don't have it. So because of the fact that none of us want to say, I hired a PR firm. P yeah, people don't say that. They don't say, oh, I had this amazing publicist, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's not to knock anybody. It's just, it's just because of how it is, because it's also yeah. like, honestly, if I'm doing that for you, I want you to do that because it, it makes your brand look bigger and it makes your brand look more important. That's why you hired me. Right. Um, and that's why you don't see any celebrity publicists, honestly, because it's our job is to help the people that are doing amazing things, get noticed more. And it's just the, the nature of the work. And so because of that, people don't quite understand how this whole area of media works. You know what I mean? Like, any celebrity that's getting placements, they have somebody behind them that's helping them do it. And they're also weeding out the placements they shouldn't have. So at the same time, it's just because most Americans don't understand the game because the game's not promoted. And, and honestly, like I said, I don't feel like it should be because it takes away from these people that are doing amazing things. Yeah. All right. So I sidetracked you a little bit in the middle. <laughs> so you're talking about having the branding and the importance of having all that stuff line up otherwise you're not going to get nearly the conversion Correct. and attention you should be otherwise mm -hmm. well because you know you're going to see your advertising convert better you're going to see people create trust because you may be incredible at what you do and there may be people that are like way worse than you in the space but they have more social media followers more credibility more of these other things so unless you can get a lot of those that stuff in you're not gonna be able to service people in the way you want to it's just vital to really yeah. having people know, like, and trust you, like, because that's, what's going to prevent you from going bigger and going further. Yeah. I mean, well, this goes to a, a physical example, but there was a client that we had who they were going through an audit and we can represent audits. We don't really, it's just not, not our thing. We, we charge as much as attorneys do and we do one a year. So it's, it's, we're not going to do as good of a job for, for that same price. Sure. So we refer, we gave him a couple points of contacts to attorneys and he went to see one and he got in the office, met with the guy and just like walked out in 10 minutes because he said the guy had been in this office for 10 years and it looked like he had been there for one week. It looked like he had just moved in. It looked slubby. It looked gross. And he said, you know, I don't, he just did not trust at that point mm -hmm. that the attorney could do a good job for him. So especially online where you don't even have 
the mitigating factors you would have selling right. in person that, okay, yeah, he's got, and that's a good crap. thing and a bad thing because you can have right. a lot of people that can make it really look really good and have nothing behind it. Right. Or you can have people that have a lot of stuff behind it and just haven't figured out how to make it look good yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what we talk about in this podcast. We have these people where, I mean, where they, they take Andre Agassi literally when they say image is everything and they, they stop right there where they have this pristine image online mm-hmm. and it takes a lot more digging into their social, the stories they're telling than you realize or, or just some in-person interactions with them. You realize, okay, they're full of it. They're not doing half of what they claim they are. Well, like, like, have you seen the the Nicole Arbor video about Jay Shetty? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or they're just copying everybody else out there and saying they did it. Like, that's a real problem as well. Like, there's no attribution online anymore as well. Oh, yeah. That that one was crazy because... I've seen his stuff for years and he I, I had so much fun with that by the way because my friends were like had this long running status on Facebook so like uh I my, my favorite one was so the people were writing quotes and attributing to Jay Shetty and I said <laughs> so mine was she's buying a stairway to heaven Jay Shetty <laughs> <laughs> well the one my, the favorite one I saw it went to that thing from the office when it was like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take it was Wayne Gretzky, and underneath it, it was Michael Scott. They started doing that, where they were like taking photos. And, then, yeah. and that, that one was insane to me, because I've seen him before, because he mm-hmm. gets shared on Facebook a lot. He's a great orator. He presents yeah, himself yeah, really yeah. well. But then just seeing the side-by-side on that video, and then the follow-ups where – I'm not, sure, I'm not sure which ones offended me more, the ones where he's reading other – over other people's quotes and doesn't attribute it or his Twitter posts where he's taking other people's quotes and then just putting Jay Shetty at the bottom. I'm not sure which one is more egregious. But it, but it shows the bigger problem online, right? right? Just like we've been talking about through this whole interview, look the part, but have a great product because your products will also tell a story as well. And eventually if it's a sham, it's going to get found out, man. Like it just, it's, you can't keep it up forever. Somebody's going to find it out if you're not producing what you say you're producing. Right. And that's what's this space. It's always a little bit, um, it's, it's interesting to me because it's global, but at the same time, it's, especially in the IM space, it's very close knit. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, it, no, I would agree. You know, it, there's, in the people who are in sort of the network that we operate in, I wouldn't be surprised if there's really 10,000, 20,000 people total who are really intertwined into it. So they're, they're across the world, but you burn through that reputation in this space or similar little circles, mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, you have to find a new scam and a new group of people. <laughs> totally understand. Uh, all right, sweet, man. So, no, we're running out of time here pretty quickly. So, last question. We'll get to this one just real fast. Either what's the craziest thing you've seen sold online or what's the craziest tactic you've seen to sell something online? Wow. Um, craziest thing I think I've There's seen. There's a lot of them, so. There's so many things, man. Like just some of these courses are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, like the number of times I think I've seen it. Uh, do you know who Dennis Yu is? No, I don't. 
So Dennis oh, used like the o- the OG Facebook marketer. Like he okay. knows everything there is to like know about like marketing on Facebook. And he put up this post not too long ago about courses that sell courses and teaching people how to sell courses. And, and he makes a really good point because this is the thing that aggravates me the most. I guess there's two things. There's people that coach people on how to coach other people as well as people that sell courses on how to sell courses. I'm just like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's like ridiculous. Because here's the thing, like, I, what have you successfully done then other than teach people exactly what you're doing, which is just perpetuating the problem. Like there's no valuable final product. You know what I mean? There's nothing you're creating in the end. Well, and if creating courses and what you're selling some, and I get that there's always a space for info products, but if what you are doing is so uber successful, why are you bothering teaching other people how to do it? Why aren't you just right. to that space to begin like, with? There was, there was somebody I saw presenting, um, I forget what conference this was at. It might've been Thrive a bunch of years ago, but they had a, a online course that taught people everything you needed to know about buying and restoring an Airstream, um, an Airstream trailer. Okay. Like, and they were doing very well because people wanted to know how to do that. So if, if you can figure out what people are looking for and deliver that, it's cool to sell a course or it's cool to have like, like I think you shouldn't be coaching unless you've built a business that makes money you exactly. know, and you've built a business that makes money to a certain level. Because if, if your first business is a coaching business, um, I, I, my friend Bree Seely put something about this the other day and she's a, a successful coach that has had a business that went well. But she said, if your first business your, your coach's first business is the business they're currently running coaching you. That's a real problem. So I, I think we need to, we need to look at what are these people's statistics and what have they produced? And then they have the right to, to teach me something. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, buddy. This has been a blast. <laughs> Love to have you on clearly exhausted more of the time than we intended to. So for anyone who's listening to this, watching it and they want to work with you, what's yeah. the best method of contact for that? Totally. So we put together a special link for your audience. If you go over to commandyourbrand.media slash apply, and they'll actually get a 45 minute call with somebody on my team to show them what the strategy is going to be like to get the right media using podcasts and get out there. So whether you want to work with us or whether you just want to get the information from this call, either way, you're going to walk away with a ton of value. So that's commandyourbrand.media slash apply. Okay. Awesome. And we'll put that link in the description when we publish this. Thanks again for being on here. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And everyone watching, thanks for being here again on the Few the Proud, the Profitable, where we only talk to legit online business owners. We'll catch y'all next time.